This episode is brought to you by Snapple. Want to know another Snapple fact? The first hot air balloon passengers were a sheep, a duck, and a rooster. Ridiculous. Check out Snapple.com to find ridiculously flavored Snapple near you. Welcome to the Always Be Comedy podcast. My name is James Gill. I am the MC at the multi-award-winning comedy nights, Always Be Comedy. I'm joined, as always, by my comedy husband, Always Be Comedy's very own, Tim Lewis. Hello, Tim Lewis. Hello, James Gill. The Always Be Comedy podcast is where we sit down with a guest and they curate what would be their dream comedy gig. Who would open? Who would close? What sort of gigging nightmare that they've experienced must not, under any circumstances, happen at this fantasy comedy gig? It's all this and so much more. And by so much more, we often mean quite a lot of gossip. Hello, welcome to the Always Be Comedy podcast. It's Tim, it's a landmark. It's episode number 50. It's great to get to 50. What a big one. Yeah, that's really exciting. Um, and we've got a very special guest for our very special episode. Phil Wang, I'm going to say this, not just one of the greatest performances on the Always Be Comedy podcast, it's one of the greatest performances I've ever heard on any podcast ever. Oh, James, you're hyping it up too much. I absolutely am not. Uh, Phil Wang, Tim, I mean, the dude is on sensational form. He's he's like a chat show king. He knows he's got his anecdotes and they're all brilliant. And I must stress, not crowbarred in. They just come up naturally. Just ask him a question and he's got a brilliant story about it. Right, the singing stuff, I had no idea about any of that. And so, I mean, I mean Tim, we always love an exclusive. Phil Wang would love to do like a, a swing... <laughs> crooning dean martin style album i mean that like like genuinely as well i i would love to hear it he talks a little bit about when he performed at a musical the um comedy musical gig that kerry pritchard mclean and jade adams used to do and i remember seeing him do it he sang feed for birds from mary poppins and his voice is beautiful it's fantastic i genuinely really hope this album becomes a becomes a thing now before phil wang becomes uh, an international singing sensation a la michael buble not a joke that booty reference buble timmy's shaking his head to, as, as, if, as if to say that wasn't a joke he, he references buble oh you, honestly you're in for you are in for a treat now phil wang is playing the apollo because it's phil wang obviously it is tim it is essentially sold out isn't it we are talking the last couple of tickets. Yeah, absolutely. We, at the time of recording, I saw the show last night and this is flawless. It is a perfect hour, I'm going to say. So if you Google Phil Wang Apollo, it will take you to the Eventim. This is, I've, got, I've gone straight in there. Full <laughs> QVC shopping network mode here. But it'll take you to the eventim.co.uk website and you can select your seats. As you will see, there are not many left. Uh, also, Tim, I, I mean, that's less than 30 quid to see Phil Wang at the Apollo is, I think that's pretty darn good, man. 
it's great value. And yeah, like I say, saw it yesterday and bang for your buck. I know who's doing the support. It's double bang for your buck. It's going to be a great night out. You, yeah, when you find out in the sport is you'll not be disappointed. You'll go, ah, it all makes. I mean, I'm probably giving away too much there, but uh, yeah, Phil Wang at the Apollo Friday the 23rd of February. Friday the 23rd of February. We would say get a wriggle on because we're, we're we're talking last few seats to see the great Phil Wang, and it's his show Wang in there, baby. Tim and I have both seen it. It's a great show. Uh, and as we say, Phil Wang is on sparkling form on this episode of the podcast. Uh, we've known Phil for many years, Tim. He's just, as long as I've known him, he's he's always been a brilliant comedian. Yeah, we have that great thing. I think both of us have this from different times. Yeah, Phil was like a slightly buzzy new act when I first met him. And he was sort of getting in with clubs. And now he is... I think it's fair to say one of the biggest names in UK comedy. Yeah, absolutely. So it's been very exciting to have that journey with him. I hate using the phrase journey, but it comes up a lot on this podcast. We say journey a lot. I'm sure it started off ironic and we now, it's now very much part of the ABC vernacular. Uh, Louise, when you're working on that third bingo card, please get journey on the. Oh yeah. Also regular listeners, uh, one of our, one of our great regulars uh, at ABC, Louise, has done another uh, Always Be Comedy bingo card for, th- for things that we say way too much. So there are two bingo cards. Louise genuinely dabs along, uh, and that's dab in a bingo sense rather than what the kids were doing on social media about 10 years ago. Um, and Tim, we hit, we hit double finger, figures on the... We really regret saying double fingers. We hit double figures on the bingo card more than we would like. Oh, it must be every episode of this stage. And there's 50 episodes, so there's a lot of a lot of dabbing going on. Uh, speaking of buzzword bingo, we got we got some correspondence from uh, a, re- a regular called Millie. It's an um, Tim. It's an incredible email. It's one of the best emails we've ever had. Uh, we we have to cherry pick the best bits. Let's just say, right, it is full of very uh, much appreciated praise. And we, we Tim, we'll pick out some bits. How's that? Yeah, I think that's the best way to do it. Uh, oh, gosh. Made me laugh when you mentioned the buzzword bingo that a listener had created as I kept thinking the same thing. <laughs> I, I'm I'm choosing to take it as a compliment. You know what? It, it is a compliment because it's the, it is it's as if ever I'm feeling sad, I'm going to open this email, and my my, my heart will will swell. Uh, really love hearing you guys geek out over comedy and your favourite acts. Brackets new and old, especially people like Russ Abbott and Jasper Carrot. Close brackets. It's such a wonderful window into the world of comedy, and it really feels like we are listening to friends. You guys are such a joy to listen to, even if I don't get half the football puns. Yeah, again, point <laughs> absolutely taken. Uh, right, we are. Oh, now there is a genuine question, Tim. Yes. They say, as Edinburgh Comedy Virgins, do you know when people announce their gigs? I had a feeling it was end of Feb. That is a great question. Now, fortunately, my other half at Always Be Comedy is very much Johnny Edinburgh. Tim, do you roughly know the answer to this question? Um, I hate to say it, it sort of just happens intermittently. I think. Some of the big four venues have started 
announced things very, very tentatively. So there'll be a few shows on sale now, but really there'll be a few bursts throughout the year. I'd expect maybe, maybe March, maybe, maybe there'll be a few big drops throughout the year. And then you'll get uh, exciting limited runs in June, I would guess. And it is a guess. I would say a chort will do a very good job of of uh, drip feeding the Edinburgh lineups. Oh, that is. I mean, really, that's the place where I'll find out. Yeah, that's the place where I'll find out. I mean, also, Tim. Speaking of Chortle, yes, please. Uh, the Chortle Awards are still open. You will find plenty of acts nominated in in other categories that you, that you might have seen. It always be comedy, so please do fill your boots. And then when you scroll down, best pro comedy night, a regular comedy gig held in a pub, theatre, or art centre type building your answer we ask very politely please always be comedy we tim we would say in the month since we won it last year we've had multiple uh or the likes of kamal nanjiani Stephen merchant uh, james austin johnson back smashing it as trump on saturday night live mm-hmm. yeah pasco rose matafeo a caster gamble kumar romesh or oh, and i'm missing so many people out but it's been a heck of a year. Uh, obviously, the, po- the I mean, it's not really related, but the, the podcast has been great. We, we we launched that since we won it last year, Tim. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're coming up to, well, this episode 50, so in two weeks' time, it'll be the one-year anniversary. Now, back to Millie's email. We, because we answered the Edinburgh question, we, uh, let's face it, we crowbarred in the Chortle Award uh, request. But Millie has done uh, a dream lineup. If you fancy doing a dream lineup, please send them in. The team at alwaysbecomedy.com. The team at alwaysbecomedy.com. The dream lineup is MC, Miranda, Tim. That's a great pick. That's a big, big start. Yeah, incredible. Imagine, imagine the ovation as Miranda walks on to MC. Well, I remember she was someone who had proper ultras fans absolutely i mean fanatics yeah people were very on board with the miranda brand adored miranda we'd love to miranda at abc yes please yes please the opener we would definitely love at abc jasper carrot yeah the the main man (laughs) i feel like we've been driving that jasper carrot bandwagon for a, a good while well i think because yeah, I I I'd watched like a VHS of his that was on YouTube and loved it so much, but I didn't really I didn't really know where he stood in like the comedy world. And then yeah, it turns out everyone thinks he's the best. We and, and also we had the episode with Alex Horn where Jasper Carrot's name comes up. Yeah, regarding uh, Taskmaster and Tim. I mean that to say that was picked up across the press would be an understatement. Yeah, yeah, of course it was bizarre. Yeah, mad. What I should have just said then was it was picked up across the press. I was I told myself off as soon as I said that. <laughs> In the middle, they've played Always Be Comedy before. Uh, they're always very welcome. The great Greg Davis. Incredible. Absolutely. Great bill, this. Amazing, Bill. Middle part two and coming soon to Always Be Comedy, Felicity Ward. Tim, I mean, pure yeah. dynamite. Oh, my God. Yeah, one of the first acts I became a massive fan of. Yeah, so brilliant. Really great. What a great performer. And then closing the show, 
Tanya Moore, brackets, because she made me howl with laughter so much that I nearly wet my knickers when we saw her, not my words, maybe that's the bit that Millie didn't want reading out, but I mean, I'm, 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 <laughs> I've done it now, the, the, the cat is out the bag. Wet my knickers, I've doubled down on knickers, triple. When we saw her at Always Be Comedy, close brackets. Uh, Tim, that, that's a heck of a dream lineup. Yeah, that is a ridiculous gig. There is, it, yeah, 100% pure laughter. Uh, so thank you very much. As always, your, your, uh, your correspondence, always much appreciated. And then also, I know we bang on about this a lot. I'm going to say, given today's guest, I know we wang on about this a lot, Lovely. but your five-star reviews, guys, you have no idea, or I'm sure you have some idea, because I say this every single week. <laughs> your five-star, if you, you're on a train right now, you're looking out the window, uh, if, the, if, you, if, that, if that is what you're doing right now, I apologise, because I may have spooked you slightly there, but if you can be bothered, get your phone out and pop a five-star on there. I listen to Quickly Kevin a lot. I've heard them plug the five star thing and I didn't used to get it and now that we do a podcast I totally get it <laughs> uh, now as ever in the coming weeks and months we've got some absolute uh, colossal names Fern Brady is doing two tour previews 15th and 16th of July Mike Wozniak is doing a couple of work in progress shows you'll see them on the website including the 22nd and 23rd of July uh, the great Kima Bob is with us. I mean, she's incredible on the 5th of June. Tim, that is just £5 to see Kima Bob, £5 to see a Kima Bob work in progress on the 5th of June. Uh, and then you'll also find the likes of Maisie Adam, Rachel Paris, Flo and Joan. We've just added a couple of shows with Kevin Eldon uh, and many, many more. Sarah Pascoe, Joel Domert uh, from RuPaul's Drag Race. We've just added a show with uh, Kate Butch, uh, Ian Sterling, I could go on and on. It's Tim. What a what a what a beezer few weeks and months we've got coming up. Yeah, I I, really, I can't wait for all of our shows. Really, yeah, lots of lots of stuff happening at the Tommy Field, which is a dream to see. We've mentioned some uh, incredible comedians there, and right now we have one of the very best. Uh, please welcome the great Phil Wang. <laughs> Uh, we're joined by one of the greats, Phil Wang. Phil, how are you, my friend? I'm good, thanks, James. It's lovely to be here. I'm in my flexing era. Okay. Do you, uh, it's not the question that I've got written down for the first question. Do you work out quite a lot? Um, I've got a personal trainer uh, now, but I only recently realized how expensive he is. So I don't know how much longer I can do this for. I spoke to my girlfriend about it, and she was like, yeah, well, you have them for a little bit, and then once you learn all the exercises, then you can go to the gym yourself. And I thought, that's never been the issue. I know that you can look up the exercises. It's not like I needed someone to tell me, pick up the heavy thing. I know you have to pick up the heavy thing. I just need, a, I need a, a someone there to make me do it. But it turns out that's expensive. Tim, Tim and myself will come around to your house and just shout it, if you like. No, I know you're both too nice. You would never do that. No, it'd be annoyingly encouraging. Come on, Phil, you can do it. You can have another break. Of course, no problem. Yeah, your keys give you energy. <laughs> so, so what, Phil, what we, I, I still want to talk about this, though, but not for much longer, don't worry. What, what will you do? Because you are a fine figure of a man. So the next time I see you, I don't want you to be full of your keys. Will you 
What are you gonna do? What do you mean? What am I gonna do? Oh, once I run out of PT money. Yeah. Uh, there is a place near me here that does these sort of group classes. It's one of these sort of kind of culty group class situations where you turn up and you all jump up onto a box and back down again together, and you do that a few times. And 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 they say is like they say everyone just works to their own pace. That's not true. Everyone has to work to the same pace. Otherwise, it's embarrassing. So I, I left that for a bit just because it was too embarrassing and too difficult, but I'm probably going to have to go back because it is cheap. Uh, right, Phil, this is the question I've got written down. Yeah. You've been doing Oisley Comedy for, I reckon it must be coming up to a decade. Yeah, I, was, I'm, I must have been early on. I must have been in the first, what, 10 gigs? Within the first 10? Pretty, I think it's pretty early on. We, we've been going yeah. 12 plus years. I think you were okay. That's not ten. No, but it was it it was it was early early doors. But this this is pure compliment. How come you were so good straight away? <laughs> well, I mean, by the time you saw me, I'd been going for a couple of years, um, and uh, I mean, I, I'm I'm going to brush over my acceptance of the compliment. Let's assume you're right. Let's assume. If I was good right away, it's, it, it won't, it's only because I wasn't, and it's because I got lots of practice at university, and I started really early. I mean, I start my first ever gig was when I was like eighteen, if not seventeen, I think eighteen at school, and I just became obsessed with stand up. Throughout university, I did a gig. There, I was in uni for four years. I started my own gig in my college. I was performing regularly with the Footlights, and um, and I just got a practice that no one you don't get in any other university in the UK. And so if I was good right away, it's only because I'd had all these years of uh, extra practice. I'm, I'm quietly miffed that I never saw you when you were shit. <laughs> I'm sure you've seen me be shit since. You never stop being shit. It just becomes less often. I've, n I've never seen the you be shit. The deaths never end. This is the thing about comedy, right? The deaths never end. They just become less regular. This is why you and I still love comedy because it's never, it, we will never find it boring because, I mean, this is sort of like a PG Woodhouse type observation, but the nanosecond you think you've got it licked is the t is when it bites you on the arse. Yeah, I mean, it, it is a similar psychology to gambling. I think that, you know, there have been studies done where gamblers win every game and they stop doing it. It's not fun. The, the, the fun of comedy is the chance to fail and escaping failure yeah that's what that's what's exhilarating about comedy and so you need the occasional deaths to remind you that failure is still possible oh god yeah now you you, you a few years ago you told me something which i think about quite a lot because it made me laugh a lot we both had a good laugh about it and it was when you were at university you didn't get or, or you know like all of you collectively didn't get that you were supposed to write original material so it was almost like and tonight i will be performing oh no, 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 this wasn't, a, this wasn't a university. There was very strong um, uh, ethic of originality at university. I mean, people would get in trouble for, for, for copying material in the footlights. This was my first couple of gigs before university at school. And I did... What? Hang on, you, did, you were doing stand-up at school? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I did stand -up. My first gig was at school, not at university. At wow. Yeah. I was sick. I was ill with um, fascination for stand-up. 
and my first ever gig was at is, is in my my the the drama room in my school in bath and the drama teacher mr harding put on a comedy night called club haha and I've, I've still got the t-shirt somewhere which is a clip out of a guy holding a microphone and the words i survived club haha <laughs> <laughs> and um and he it, it, the show the show was predominantly for the school improv group that he taught who were drama students i wasn't drama i didn't do drama i did um i did real subjects but he all advertised he could do five minutes of uh stand-up for anyone and i went up to him and i said can i there's any space left for the gig and he said oh i think there are a couple of seats left he thought i wanted to perform i was a pretty serious student so he didn't think i was wanted to, perf- to do um he, he thought i wanted to watch the show not perform and then when I said, no, I'd like to do some stand-up, and he had this worried look crossed his face. And he thought, oh, no, what am I what am I setting this kid up for? But he went, all right, but you know, for five minutes. And I went up and I did, predominantly it was Russell Peters jokes, and I swapped out Indian for Chinese, and they more or less still worked. Um, and the, some jokes of an American comedian called Pablo Francisco, I said, I think. But these were the few comedians who had clips up online. This was 2008, 2007. So they weren't, they were actually, if you can imagine, there wasn't a lot of stand up. I think this was still, if not the age, close to the age where Rod Gilbert held the record for most views of any stand up clip on the internet. Do you know this? Oh my God! Yes, and it's the it's the luggage routine. The luggage routine was the most watched stand-up clip on the internet for a, for a period. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine holding that title? But that's Rod's. Pretty cool, huh? So, g- given Rod achieved that, and I think Rod was as surprised as anyone, wasn't he? Because it, I, I think somebody put it up. Someone else put it up. He didn't. It wasn't him, was it? No, I'm. Mean, yeah, that, I mean that's because the, the comedians weren't weren't on 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 board of this new re- uh, revolution. And then Russell Peters became huge because someone uploaded his Comedy Central set to YouTube. He, he didn't do it, but whoever did that, you know, he owes a his you know a great deal of wealth to because that's <laughs> what made him an international superstar. Was someone else putting his clip onto YouTube? And I think that was the start of it becoming an accepted, uh, an accepted breach of copyright that even broadcasters took on so there's a guy called ass raptor on youtube who for a period i don't know if he still does it he puts up all the live of the polo clips technically now, that is a breach of copyright but the bbc or the producers of apollo turn a blind eye because that is where most people watch their live of the apollo and he's he, um ass raptor is more value than he is um impediment to them i, I would say if quite a few comedians if they were to ever meet real ass raptor they should shake Ars Raptor by the hand. Yeah, he doesn't. He doesn't sound like he has clean hands. I don't know. From the name Ars Raptor, I don't want to touch that person. I'd like. I'll thank them from a distance. Have you oh, met Ars Raptor? No, but some people have met Ars Raptor. I've never Ars met Ra- Ars Raptor. When I see Ars Raptor's name sharing stuff, Ars, you know, is a funny name. But only now that we actually say Ars Raptor out loud, it sa- it phonetically sounds a lot filthier than it than it looks written down. I think it looks pretty filthy written down. <laughs> it's never struck me, but now, now I'm saying ass. I mean, oh man, I feel grubby. Yeah, I'm not sure what it is. Is it like a raptor dinosaur that lives on an ass, or 
he he claws up asses in the way that a raptor does. Or a little velociraptor with the face of an ass. Was the answer? Have you met Have you met Ars Raptor? No, 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 never. I wonder why, given Rod achieved that and Russell Peters, you know, Russell Peters, an arena feeling comedian. I wonder why the, I'm, I, I don't know the answer, you, you you might. I wonder why it's only this past year or so that comedians have started sharing stuff, given how much success the likes of Peters had back in the day. Mm, you mean in terms of clips, sort of Instagram clips, reels? Yeah. I see what you're saying, but I think that, huh, huh. Well, I think Russell Peters is in a unique position because his material was so international. It was about how different cultures and different races interact, and you know, Chinese people like this, Indian people like this, South Americans like this, and that's why it became an international hit. Um, and I guess I don't know. I guess other comedians had other ways of sharing their stuff, but I think. I think I think people more or less did. I think reels. I I, I think from a lot of comedians, the balance has always been. Um, making money out of material and 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 getting material seen, you know, and putting material onto your reels onto YouTube means no money for it, but then getting it bought out exclusively by a channel means money for it, but maybe people far few people actually get to see it because it's exclusive to the channel. Um, and I think for the most part, comedians, especially successful comedians, have gone for the money side of things because enough people see it anyway. And it, it's only now that the importance of reels on Instagram uh, is undeniable. You're, you're absolutely... And I guess always. it's clips that people have already made money from. So you've already made money from these Netflix specials or whatever, and you can clip them up. And and again, the broadcasters kind of take it on as a necessary evil. Uh, people putting up their um, their material because it means it drives people to 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 those platforms. Yeah, you're right. You're right. Um, so how did how did that how did that first how did that school gig go then? Pretty well. Um, yeah. It, it, I think people were just kind of stunned that I was doing it. I was I, I was known for singing. That was my main thing at, at school. I was a singer. It was what I wanted to do. Do you know this? No. When I was a teenager, I was um, I was really into the um, the the, <laughs> the golden age of the crooners and swing jazz and the Great American Songbook, and I wanted to be a crooner like uh, Michael Bublé or something. And I was obsessed, and that's all I wanted to do, until until I found stand up, and I thought actually, I don't have to do scales for stand up. I can just kind of get up and do it. Um, and I found it, and I could write my own material with stand up, and I couldn't. I, I I just never had the musical skill to write songs, but I could write stand up. Genuine question: Could you use your profile as a stand up, and in a couple of years we see you on the front of an album in a tuxedo, licensed to fill, and it's and you, you've done a full, a full album of crooner classics. Genuinely. I'd actually love to do that. I'd love to do that. I wouldn't mind doing that. Like this year, I'm trying to do different things. Maybe I'll I'll record Phil Phil uh, Phil Wang sings the blues or something. I'd love to do that. Yeah, for sure. I wouldn't mind like a Jason Manford turn. You know, when he started, when he became uh, a sort of, uh, a musical guy for a bit. He still does it now. Right. Right. Yeah. Maybe I'll I'll do I'll do an Alexander Armstrong and do a Christmas album every year. 
so what kind of so if you could name names what kind of guys uh we're talking like sinatra yeah sinatra dean martin was my fave for a long time nack and cole louis armstrong sammy davis jr um ella fitzgerald yeah i was obsessed i i, I was always quite an old soul and i i remember being very impatient for my voice to drop because i couldn't my voice was too high i had like a really high counter tenor voice as a kid and if i'd lived in the uk i probably would have joined one of those boys choirs where they all sing really high you know but i didn't want to do that i wanted to sing like elvis and the crooners so i would I'd just i'd walk around trying to talk like that just trying to trying to force my voice to break <laughs> and i remember the day my voice broke i was so excited um because i could finally sing like the crooners and that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to, I'd like, I wanted to wear a suit and slick my hair back and sing the Great American Songbook for a living. Um, but I just, I found it quite hard, and and I didn't know how you got into it. Whereas stand up was just like, is the beauty of stand up is so simple. You just write jokes, you get up and you do them, and if you do well, you get asked to do another, and you it just kind of snowballs. Yeah, so that's why it took off. But I mean, sometimes I still think I really need to. I, I, I need to stop this stand-up experiment and go back to my real life because this hobby sort of gone on long enough. You know? It still doesn't feel like a, a decision I made. It's just kind of thing. People always say, how did you fall into stand-up? And I think that's quite an accurate description of how you do it. You know, you just kind of, you do kind of fall into it, fall into it. But the real passion is the is the, the swinging and the, the crooning. It was, it was. I find it too painful to do now because comedy well comedy takes every last a bit of your earnestness from you it makes you it makes you cynical about everything and music is very earnest it's very hard to sing cynically you know so, so I, that... I probably couldn't i probably couldn't do it now i probably find it too earnest but when i sing alone in the shower or something it's it's very i, I love it i think every listener is is honestly like desperate so that's in wonka that's your... Oh yeah, that's really me singing in Wonka. Yeah, here's a little bit behind the scenes uh, bragging, but I was told by um, someone on Wonka that uh, you know sometimes in movies they have to correct uh, a singer if they're not a professional singer in post, and they didn't have to correct me at all. I hit, I hit all the notes, all five notes I was given. <laughs> I hit them spot on. <laughs> Phil, uh, right, I consider you a good pal in in the sweet sweet world of comedy. You have hidden this light under a bushel, my friend. Well, it's embarrassing. Singing is embarrassing. It's embarrassing to do anything earnestly. I think it's something Stuart Lee said in a in a special ages ago was um, the uh, the last. What do you say? The, the 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 final taboo in comedy isn't rape jokes. It's doing something well and earnestly. And he's absolutely right. It's like. To, for me to start singing well, it's just embarrassing. You know, it's not funny. It's embarrassing. I did. I did do it on um on a TV show on Sky. Um. Called the something about movies. Oh yeah. Yeah yeah, and uh, they 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 heard that I could sing, and they made me sing. Uh, somewhere or tonight from West Side Story. And I did sing once. For. Do you remember A Musical? It was a live yeah. comedy musical show that was fronted by Jade Adams and Kiri Pritchard-McLean. And uh, I sang 
I think that's why they asked me to do it on the Sky Show was someone had seen me do it on a musical. But I've never done it like uh, Wonka. Obviously, is the most public I've ever sung. But that, but that, I'm I'm hidden under Timothy singing. So, so what, what, what would your let's say you, me, and Tim are in a a, a, a Tim, swing? Tim, Timothy Chalamet or uh, <laughs> Tim both Lewis? the four of okay. us. T- Tim and Tim. Tim's. an embarrassment Tim. of Tim's. Yeah, and it's a it's a crooners type karaoke place, and I've just finished. I've just. I've I've been booed <laughs> off for uh, I've got you under right. So what That's what would you good. Thanks very much. Oh man. That's like asking me to pick a favorite child in that there is an answer, but it'll take some time. I can't pick, man. There are too many. On the street where you live, I think is beautiful. Um sending the clowns. It's a bit morose, but I think there's a lot of beauty to it. Uh night and day. Night and day, you are the one. Only you need moon or under the sun. You know, that's all. Phil, get that album I'm, out. I'm not gonna. I'm not singing. Even this, I'm not gonna sing properly. I think. I, I think this came up on uh, Adam Buxton's podcast, where like I sang a couple of tunes, but but I'm, I'm not gonna try. And he said, "You're you're really not trying to sing well here," because I find it so embarrassing. I find it really embarrassing. It's too embarrassing. I might if I ever sing if I ever sing again I'll wear like a mask I'll wear like you know how DJs will wear a, a big yeah. mask I'll, I'll literally be the mask singer but by my own choice. <laughs> That's superb. Uh, now I I got in touch after we took my wife and I took the girls to see Wonka and with my hand to God the scene that that stole the show was. That beautiful sequence. Um, how does it feel to be to be a part of movie magic? Because that Which that sequence? is your song that culminates in the marriage. That me, I think I told you at the time. My wife and I gave a round of applause. Wow, that's so kind. Uh, yeah, that's 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 the big song of the show. Well, there's chocolate and there's chocolate, and it's, so yeah, it's pretty good. A pretty lucky song to be like. I'm the start of. It. And my, my my friend actually pointed out that you actually, I'm actually the start of the second act. Me and Charlotte Ritchie kick off the second act and in, in the start of the song, and then that's the whole, and then the act goes on from there. It's the first sort of time that Willy Wonka's plan starts to go to plan. And uh, yeah, I mean, um, that's really me dancing on the table. Which, when I watch it, I was like, that doesn't look like me. It looks like I've got strings attached to something. But um, I think that's just testament to, like, how much time and money they can spend on practicing and getting people who don't normally dance to practice tap dancing and and figuring out the tap routine that um, a novice can do. And I, eventually, I, I didn't do it and fell through the table and hit my arm, as, I, as, I, as, as in the story I told from Graham Norton. But... I- because it's it's such a beautiful film, you must be you must be chuffed to to have a part in that. Yeah, it's a very small part, <clears throat> but it's um. But I'm glad it's it, it, people like it so much, and um. And to be, I I remember what I remember one of the makeup people saying while we're on it, or one of the costume ladies saying um very casually. She went, I mean, this is going to be on every Christmas for the rest of your lives. 
And I thought, I just wasn't telling them, I thought, oh God, if this is, goes well, it, it could be just something that's on BBC every Christmas until I die. <laughs> you know, I mean, that's a pretty cool thing to be part of if it happens. Uh, well, that, I mean, now it's official. It is, a, it is a global smash now, isn't it? It's, you know, it's, it's sailed past half a billion dollars now. Oh, has it? Oh, wow. That's awesome. As soon yeah. as it, I, I sent it to Tom. I mean, Tom Davis is a, a revelation in that as well. There's a yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a scene. I mean, there's, there's a good always be comedy contingent in that movie, isn't there? Tim and I named how many always be comedy acts are in there, and it's it's a lot. How and many? I can't remember. But I mean, is he is he Sutties in it? Yeah. Uh, me, Tom Davis. There's a couple of um, more random ones as well. But yeah, there's there's quite yeah, a few yeah, dudes yeah, in there. Know. But there's a bit where if you come and say something like to Tom. You'd love that, wouldn't you? And he pulls a face, like as if to say, "Yeah, I would." But then, but then says, "No." But he 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 conveys about eight emotions within two seconds. I mean, it's a really, it's an incredible bit. Phil, do I take it you'd like to do more and more of of acting? Yeah, yeah. I think um, I think it was really fun, and um, it's kind of it feels like a, a fun trajectory to go on now i was i wasn't that interested in it for a long time i was just very like into stand-up but now i'm like oh yeah desi is quite fun and it has its own challenges and its own sort of um uh its own different things you got to figure out and it's a lot of choices i mean i think that's why i sometimes find acting and comedy hard is i get very very bad choice paralysis and when you you know every time you choose to do a joke you're choosing not to do a universe of other jokes and similarly in acting when you choose one expression you're choosing not to do a whole bunch of other expressions and i think that's why i find these things challenging and interesting but also why i find them very hard is i'm really bad at making decisions um but yeah i think there's definitely something i want to want to do more of if people let me that's the main that's the, that's that's the main part is if people let me i also it's sort of a shame that more comedy movies don't get made it does feel like it might be creeping back but yeah, say... i read a really interesting um <clears throat> article which was about how marvel uh has taken over cinema and it's not you know not it, it, i think we're past the peak now but this article made the point that it didn't just um monopolize the superhero or action genres but every genre so it had it had you know romances in it so it took up rom-coms and comedy in it so it took up comedy so for a few years, instead of going to see a comedy movie, people will go and see Ant-Man or Thor Ragnarok. And so there wasn't much space for comedy movies, which is why I think a movie like Barbie is such a positive um, sign because it was an out-and-out comedy that that made a lot of money. So I think one of an actor and Ryan Gosling's been nominated for an Oscar, which rarely happens for a comedy. Um, so I, I, think, I think comedy movies are coming back. I think... Before. I think they are. It was nice to see someone like Jennifer Lawrence made that film, uh, No Hard Feelings. And it was good to see a film like that back in the cinema. Because uh, I often think of, say, Planes, Trains and Automobiles, one of my absolute all-time favourite movies ever. Not just favourite comedies, favourite films, full stop. John Candy, Steve Martin, it's, it's 10 out of 10. During that Marvel pomp, I, a film like that would have, it would have sunk without a trace at the cinema. Mm. Yeah, um, that's it. I think Seth Rogen yeah. has said similar that people weren't seeing comedies because there was so much comedy in the in the Marvel films, you know. That's it. That's it. Yeah. Uh, so, so Phil, what else do you have? What else do you have? If this sounds like me, if this smells of me trying to come up with a, another exclusive, uh, I very much am. 
you've got Life and Beth uh, coming up, Phil. Yeah, yeah. So um, this is Amy Schumer's Hulu series. I was in the first series for a couple of episodes, and I'm very, I'm very briefly in in the series two, but I'm excited to see series two. I thought series one was great. It's a really great show, and uh, I'm back, reprising my role as uh, Trevor, the M- the MRI technician. Uh, but it's just cool to be in. I mean, it's just cool to be in a show with people like Amy Schumer and Michael Sarah, and you know. I mean, the, when I when I went to film, did I tell you when I went to film the first series? We <laughs> got a car up to upstate New York where I was filming. I hadn't met anyone on set yet. And I turn up and my character is DJing on a booth opposite the big table where all the main characters of, of the show are together to um to celebrate this wedding. And I look over and it's, you know, Amy Schumer, Michael Sarah, David Tell. Like... Oh all the, God. like all these greats of comedy, just watching me, like they'd done their shoot, their scenes and they're coming over to me and Amy's just like, yeah, make something up, and so then I just have to improvise on fake decks something funny about DJing to you know Michael, Sarah, David Tell, and Amy Schumer. It was, I felt like a, it felt like a fever dream. It felt like a panic dream. You know, felt like a dream where I'm in my pants, but but I got through it somehow. How, how, how like did the team? It's the team that made Inside Amy Schumer. You know, with, that I watched as a teenager, and yeah, yeah, it was. You, sometimes you get these 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 experiences, these moments in this career, and it it you feel like you're in you're in your own fantasy or something. Like I when mean, I met Dave Dave Letterman, that was very strange, um, because uh we were told that we weren't going to meet. So I was interviewed by David Letterman on this Netflix show. My next guest is, I think it's called. And I don't, I, I don't know why I was, but <laughs> I was. And, uh, and we, he interviewed a few guests at night, a few different comedians at night. And at first we were told Dave wants to meet you for the first time on stage. And then the lady came back and said, Dave changed his mind. He wants to meet you now for five minutes uh, before the show. And he, and one by one were taken downstairs into the belly of the building to meet Dave, Dave Letterman. And, and then it's my turn and I'm walked by the producer down some stairs into the basement through some corridors. And I hear Dave Letterman's voice coming, you know, resonating through the hallways. And I was like, yeah, I recognize his voice. It's a voice I've heard so, for so many years and seen on TV. And eventually I get to the room, I turn the corner and I see him standing there and the voice is coming from a face and a mouth in front of me. That's weird. To 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 like pair a voice, you know, so well with an actual flesh, fleshy person in front of you. Yeah, that was very surreal. And then the next week I was gigging in swindon or whatever it's it's very <laughs> this but this is unique to being i think a british comedian who gets you know some bites of the cherry in america you know, or like it gets to do like cameo bits in the movie the next week you know you're back you're, you're back down to earth you're you're gigging you're on the circuit you're you know you're back on you're, you're back on the ground not to say swindon isn't lovely but um it is it is uh, it is different <laughs> What, do you do you panic when you're in the same room as Letterman and he's talking? Do you go to pieces or or did you hold your own? I think it's just kind of like it's one of those situations where you just like listen to what he's saying, listen to his questions, come up with a good answer. I wasn't like slapping on the back and trying to you know 
to gain control of the room or anything. It was just kind of like, I, I and I have a very keen sense of it, my elders being Asian, and you know I speak reverently to stand-ups who've been on the circuit longer than me, regardless of where you know where we're at or whatever. Relatively, I'm I'm always if I people if I think someone's from an older generation, I will always be a little more reverent. So I think I was prepared for that in that sense. But you know, I, I don't remember all that much from it. I mean, I, I, I'm I more or less spoke to him the way I speak to him on on the recording on Netflix. He was very nice. He seemed very interested. He was particularly interested in the in the Petronas Twin Towers, which are um, a landmark in Kuala Lumpur in Malaysia. I think some one of the producers said, "Phil, do you know anything about the Petronas Twin Towers?" Dave wants to know everything about the Petronas Twin Towers. <laughs> I think he's just got to the point of his career where he can just be. What's the word? He can just ask whatever he wants. I mean, as you know, he's my he's my all time comedy. He's your hero. hero. Yeah, that's so cool. So yeah. I told I told Harry Hill this, and then Harry Hill loved sharing all his well, stories. He went he went over to do the show. Yeah, back in the day. I think that Phil. I think that's. I mean, you've achieved a lot of amazing things. That's that's right up there, being interviewed by Letterman. Yeah, it's it's cool, very surreal. But I don't know. I don't know how your mind works. But some for me, like some of that didn't happen to me. It just happened to someone who looked like me. Go on. But I just well, we, these things. I've become quite um, disconnected from them. These achievements, and uh, because I feel like I move on from who I was. And I'm constantly embarrassed of everything I did six months ago. Um, that I, when I see that, I'm like, oh, that's not me. That's some kid who looks like me. There's someone I used to be, or, you know, maybe someone I used to know. He's on there talking to David Letterman. Um, yeah, I, I, so I, it, I don't, you don't really hold those achievements with you, I don't think. I think what I do hold is the relief that they're over a lot of the time. God, uh, that's, that's so true. Yeah. There are my what I take from these, you know, from doing Live with Apollo or David Letterman or my own Netflix special is, oh, thank God that's done. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. How did the, the the I mean the Schumer relationship? I mean that's a that's a you know that's, again what an amazing thing. How, how did that come about? That was a weird one. That was after I so the first thing I did on Netflix was a short set on a lineup show they called the Comedy Lineup where they split. Each act went on and did 15 minutes on a show and they split them all up into separate episodes. So it felt like all these stand-ups had their own micro special of 15 minutes and I was asked to do it. Only me and Ashley B, we were the only ones from outside America to, to be asked to do it. So we went over and um, uh, I think she was on a different night than I was. But it was a really amazing thing to get asked to do and a month after it came out a few weeks after it came out i was meditating and i woke and i finished meditating and looked at my phone and i had a missed call and the voice message says said it was really garbled so all i could hear was hi this is amy i you know yeah i was like what and i texted the number back sorry i didn't quite catch that who's this and the, the reply said this is amy schumer i just watched your comedy lineup special i really liked it and then we got on the phone we got chatting and uh and we became friends and um She's been very generous about, you know, getting me a part on Life and Beth and having me over in New York from time to time. Uh, yeah, very surreal. Because again, you know, I was always a big fan of hers and I loved Inside Amy Schumer. Some of those sketches I think are all-time great. 
all-time great sketches. Oh, um, I mean, there's there's some absolute absolute bangers on there. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, very surreal, very surreal. This life is surreal, man. Uh, right, Phil, you're, you're you're curating your dream gig. Phil, do you yes. do you have any pre gig rituals? Do you have any pre gig rituals? Um, it's now more about what I don't do. I don't eat uh, very much at all. I have to be really careful what I eat, and I try not to eat very much if I can. I try to eat just enough that I'm not hungry, which for most people is the point of eating, <laughs> not when you're a glutton. Um, but this is all from the first, and it would turn out only time I did Would I Lie to You. Early on in my career, I was asked on Would I Lie to You, obviously very excited to be asked on. And then I'm in the, the, the dressing room. And as you know, from TV records, they come over at one point, um, an hour or two before the recording starts. And the runner will say, "Do you want? Any, can we get you anything to eat? And, you know, they hand me laminated menus from Nando's, Wagamama, uh, Pretzo, all these restaurants are nearby. We'll, we'll, anything you want, we'll go and get you. And I'm, I'm at the point in my career where I'm like, first of all, I love food. Second of all, this is free food. And and I go nuts. I'm like, yeah, I'll, I'll go to Wagamama's. I'll have a miso soup. I'll have a chahan. I'll get some gyozas. I just order up a storm and it comes and I just load up and I can't think of a single thing because I'm so full. And I go on set. I'm dry from the salt and the nerves, but also the soy sauce has dried me out. And I sit there and I don't say a word for the entire recording. And I've never been asked back. Barely enough. And so ever since then, I've been very careful about not eating before, not just a recording, but a gig as well. So I won't eat. Or if I do eat very little, I won't drink. I won't have anything to drink. If it's really important, I'll try even not to drink the day before, at the very least. And um, and those are my pre-gig nots. Those are my pre-gig do don'ts. My pre-gig do's are I try and do I try and do uh, vocal exercises or all this sort of thing. Alexander Armstrong on the set of. Pointless recently taught me one, which was to literally stretch your tongue like it's a muscle, right? So you catch the tip of your tongue behind your bottom teeth, and then you literally push your tongue outwards. Out of your mouth like that, really. Yeah, that's it. That's it. Yeah. And you're literally stretching it like 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 you're doing stretches before a sprint. Oh, that's good intel. And to the point that it hurts. You're meant to do it until it hurts. And that's from a fellow crooner. That's from a fellow crooner. You're right. Exactly. So he knows what he's talking about. And Footlight, a fellow Footlight, who's in the Footlights in Cambridge. God, um, I I loved that sketch show, Armstrong and Miller. I thought it was brilliant. I think to this day, I think people sleep on it. I think it's a really great sketch show. I think some of my favorite sketches are on that show. I I, mean, I told him that. I said that. I, I said one of my favorite ever sketches is uh, you showing Ben Miller a car in the car showroom. And Armstrong, Alexander Armstrong goes... Which one was that one again? <laughs> it's always funny when when these things that are so important to you, you bring them up to the people who did them, and they're like, "Oh yeah, I think I remember that." That <laughs> happens a lot. Uh, Jack D plays always be comedy, and I I love Jack D. And one of the first times I met him, I was bringing up some of his old routines, and, and 
he I've, I've got the same sort of vibe because it from his point of view if he's performed it 25 years ago he didn't need to revisit it it's just nerdlingers like me that can remember playing crash terry and you know I mean, that's that is a great routine wow. um yeah i mean sometimes people will comment or say to me when they meet me they'll reference a joke i made in something uh, i mean recently someone commented on the post uh, a reference to a joke i made in like my radio 4 special that I, from what 2018 or something else and it took me a second to go oh that's what that's from yeah, yeah. that's a me- i mean that's lovely it's nice that people are paying attention for sure um but anyway, what are we talking about? Uh, oh, pre-gig rituals, pre-gig rituals, and so I try and I try and do vocal vocal warm ups, and I, if I can, I try and meditate. If I'm really finding it tough, if if I've got foggy head, then I try and meditate. Or I've started walking around the block, that really helps. So I'd go for a walk outside the venue. I find Super. that really helps. that's good. Yeah. That's good advice as well. It's amazing yeah. what just a bit of fresh air can do for your for your presence of mind. Thanks. Phil. I get bad I get bad brain fog, so I'm always looking for ways to clear it. Yeah, uh, who would who would MC the gig? Um, I mean, people have surely asked if they can have you. Not, not one. No, not. I would say not. Not loads. Not I many. Mean, well, I'm presuming that it is against the rules of 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 the format to to pick the host. But I mean, yeah, James. When the first time I saw you MC ABC, it was like watching someone figure out a new way of, I don't know, making petroleum. It's like wow, there is a new exciting way of doing this. This He's a renewable energy, James Gill, throwing sweets into the crowd. and Yeah, that was really cool. But I'm presuming I can't pick you. Um, in which case, and this is the start of maybe a theme for my selections. I think it's always good to have a theme with these. And my theme is uh, comedians from important memories I have in my quote-unquote comedy journey, if I can. <laughs> and so for this one I, for the MC I'm going to choose Jared Christmas who's a Kiwi comic now based in western, the west of England somewhere Yeah. and Jared is a brilliant comedian and as an MC similar to you in that he has this sort of endless well of energy which I think is what a great MC has, an endless well of energy and interest in the audience and curiosity in the audience which I think you and, and Jared have. I think it's part of the reason I, I, I'm never quite a great MC is that I, it's very much it depends on my mood, whether or not I'm interested in where someone's from and what they do. Whereas I think you, someone like Jared, you know, he always has that energy, whether it's true or not. He always has the energy of really caring about the audience, caring about the individuals in the audience, caring about the gig. And this is important. He's important to me because he was the MC of the, total student comedian of the year final in 2010 that i won that sort of kick-started it all for me and jared christmas was the mc that night um and so for 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 nostalgia reasons i choose him but also because i think he's a brilliant comedian and a great host i'll I'll give jared a, a compliment here sarah pascal and i were talking recently about comedians who can perform in any room Arena, yes. theatre, car park, bingo night, mother's union meeting. I went with Joe Caulfield, Pasco, Hersey's, Jared Christmas. Yep. Yeah, I think that's spot on. Yeah. He, I, he's one of these comedians that I just never seen do badly. Him, Zoe Lyons, I've never seen do badly. Just <laughs> so true. I've just never seen her do badly. It's 
to the point that's weird. It's like, surely yeah. you've got to do badly. Come on, mate. I've never Just die for me. <laughs> yeah, never ever seen her do badly. So, uh, um, yeah, so, um, who we trying Christmas? How did, so did, did Avalon, did you sign with Avalon off the back of the Chortle final then? When you yeah, said I've only off? ever, I've only ever been with Avalon because one of the judges was my first agent at Avalon who, 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 who left, um, after a year or two. But yeah, so I've been with him since 2011. After after she spotted me at the Chortle Student Award Final in 2010, and so this is a, I was recently asked by a new comedian that something you know if I had any advice, and I've, I often get asked advice um, for how to how to be a professional comedian, and the first piece of advice I always give is don't don't be mental, <laughs> which because I've seen so many comedians who are good lose everything just because they're impossible to work with and they're irrational and unreasonable and mental. But the problem with this advice is that it's impossible to follow and pointless to tell because you're either mental or you're not. And if you are mental, you don't know you're mental and you can't be told not to be mental. And if you aren't mental, then you want mental and you don't need the advice. So the more practical advice I give is do competitions. And do as many competitions as you can. It doesn't matter if you win, come second place, whatever. It's stage time in front of the industry and it's practice and getting a tight set ready. And and all and that and that and the weight of that advice comes from me doing total, which kind of kicked it all off for me. Super and got me my management, yeah. And Jared Christmas again was the host of the final and will always be and will always have a special place in my heart. For that reason, and also because he's really good. Perfect. Who would op who would open the gig? Uh, so the opening act represents a memory for me that is probably the most recent, and it is seeing a newer act be brilliant in a way I hadn't seen before, and made me think stand-up comedy is brilliant and excellent and always surprising and will always be great and will never die. And that was Fatiha El Ghori. Well, I saw Fatiha at the comedy store doing, I don't know, it was a showcase or something. It might have been a gig I was on as well, but I just went around the front and watched her come on. And she's just big and explosive in her um, delivery and her character and her persona. And she's so funny and so unrelenting and so unapologetic. And she says things in such a funny way that I just like, I just died laughing. I was just barking in the back. Um, and off the back of that, I was asked to do Dave's Outsiders, and I saw that uh, Fatiha was also on, and I, I I pleaded for me to be paired with Fatiha, which they did, and we started a great friendship and had a great time on that show. And since then, Fatiha has opened for me on tour, and she's been a good friend and um, a brilliant comedian. And so, yeah, to open, I'd get Fatiha, for who who for me represents my ongoing excitement. Or stand-up comedy and new acts. Great pick and talk about charisma. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. And 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 coming to it, you know, relatively late in life. Um, and she's she she makes no secret of the fact that, uh, you know, she's in her early forties. She doesn't look like it, but she she's in her early forties, and you know, she's had a life before stand-up, and it's kind of like when a when an when an MP has a life before politics, and you go, I respect that. Fatiha has that, you know, she lived a life. She's lived a life and she has a lot to talk about, which I think is very valuable. 
and to be a new act but a new act starting in her early 40s and being brilliant i think is so so awesome and there's a, there's an old quote I've, I've heard i'm sure i heard eric sykes say it but i mean I'm, i think it's a it's not necessarily his quote but it's uh something like uh, comedians don't necessarily say funny things they say things funny and fatty has mm, absolutely yeah. got that just na natural funny bones yeah absolutely um who goes on in the middle in the middle is my friend from university who did comedy and then stopped um his name was danish and uh, we were inseparable in university and i suppose danish represents those years of um doing comedy at university um i was at cambridge which had a lot of comedy going on and lots of colleges had their own gigs and my college kings i started a gig there um called the king's jest and which was it's another platform uh uh which is where pierre novelli who i do bud pod with who's a fantastic comedian i i gave he he's fond of saying that i gave him his second ever gig and that was at the gig i started at kings and it was this mini circuit of gigs around the colleges and then the adc theater which was the student theater where the footlights performed and put on fortnightly shows of new material and it was just so thrilling to 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 go around doing new material doing jokes at these colleges and at a theater and just making new friends and it was intoxicating and i know for a lot of people those years as university years are things that are intoxicating you know um, you know, maybe sport or going out and partying or whatever. And I had like a tiny, tiny bit of that. But for me, the intoxicating part was doing comedy and discovering comedy and exploring comedy and being obsessed with comedy and forming it as much as I could and having that 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 spunk and like relentless optimism and confidence of your youth just driving you on, making you do more and more and try and get better and better. Yeah, and, and Danish was with me the whole time and we did it together and he was brilliant and very clever and most likely better than I was. But he um he stopped to to, to do other things and um I haven't really yeah, I haven't seen him in a, in a few years really. But Danish represents I think both people who should have kept going but didn't and also that time of my life and of my, my comedy life, which was university, which is so so incredible and dreamlike. Do and, I? Um, he, his sorry. stuff was very sorry. He, he was a, he studied English. He's very clever, extremely well read and widely read. And he was a he. You know, he was obsessed with Stuart Lee before anyone else had even heard of Stuart Lee. You know, um, I remember being asked um, uh, by one of the others, one of the older boys, who my comedy. Uh, who I really liked in comedy and I said Michael McIntyre because he was just becoming huge and I, I thought I was kind of obsessed with his clips and like the command of the room he had and this energy he had and there's nothing wrong with picking Michael McIntyre but it was an obvious answer and then he asked Danish and Danish said Stuart Lee and really Stuart Lee and I'd never heard of Stuart Lee but yeah so he'd, he'd, he'd be in the middle because he'd, he'd also be I think the most out there comedian and the out there comedian should always be on in the middle absolutely this is, this is Programming 101, put the weird act in the middle. <laughs> if in doubt, put the weird act in the middle. Who, uh, wherever Danish is, I, I, I do hope he's, he's happy. Who closes the gig? So closing the gig um, is, I guess, my, in a way, it was my first stand-up memory. 
and I think I've mentioned him before in things. Uh, but it's a Malaysian comedian called Harith Iskandar, who is considered the grandfather of Malaysian comedy. He was the first person really to do stand-up in Malaysia. And he's still doing it now. And he was the first stand-up I ever saw by accident. I, I accompanied my mother to a, a medical conference in Malaysia. <laughs> I don't know why. But she she asked she she asked me to join her on this trip and you know they put us up in a hotel somewhere in I think it was in Sarawak which is a state in Malaysia next to ours and one and there was a dinner a function dinner and after and there was after dinner entertainment and on came this guy in a suit who just did jokes who just said funny things and I'd never seen that before and I was astonished and it was the first time I've ever seen someone just get on stage and be funny and. I found out later on that's Harith Iskandar, the grandfather of. I don't know if he'd like to be called the grandfather, but the the original stand-up comedian in Malaysia. And it wasn't until I realized that, that I realized the first stand-up gig I ever saw was a corporate. <laughs> <It's not funny. laughs> so romantic. <laughs> yeah, I don't know how many people got into stand-up because they saw a corporate they really liked, but that, that's me. This is what it's about. This is this is the real. <laughs> That's yeah, my so first great. ever stand-up gig was a corporate gig for at a medical conference. <laughs> That's perfect. Have you um, have you since got in touch with Harith? Yeah, well, he's messaged because he, uh, I said I think I said this on something. No, I mentioned him on the David Letterman interview, which he was very chuffed about. So he, he messaged me on Instagram saying thanks for that, which was very nice. It kind of was like a, a full circle moment for me. I've never met him in person, but we, we've exchanged a couple of messages. Um, uh, he he keeps saying I should I should you know do his gig in Kuala Lumpur, but I'm never in Kuala Lumpur. But if I am, I will, I will have to try to. What's, what's, what's his style like? And did his style influence you in any way? Well, he's similar to me in that he is mixed race. He's half Malay, half English, white English. Um, his style is observational but specifically observational about malaysian life and malaysian culture and how malaysian people talk to each other and he's got very good impressions of how you know malaysians speak and um but i, I don't think his style influenced me so much i think the act of doing it influenced me in the same way was the act of russell peters doing it influenced me because he was an asian man uh doing stand-up in english for western audience predominantly and doing well and I think without seeing Harith and without seeing Russell Peters, I don't know if I, I would have gone to stand up myself. So, yeah. Have you ever had people get in touch or come up to you at gigs and say that you'd influence them or inspire them to get into stand up? Yeah, I've had I've had these days people, you know, same messages that my that my book sides bitter about being mixed race was really resonant for them. Um, a girl recently after show East Asian British girl said, you know, I was the only or first she'd never seen an East Asian do stand up before an East Asian on British TV before me. And that's always awesome. I love that. I love hearing that uh, because that's what Harith Iskandar and Russell Peters were for me. Um, So, yeah, I do get that sometimes. That's if we'll plug the book that I, as you know, I love that book. I thought. Oh, thanks, it. man. Thanks so much. Fact, probably quite. But I didn't mean it in a patronising way. But I do remember saying at the time, "What a beautiful writer you are." Oh, thanks. <laughs> well, I tried. To, I tried to write well for it. I, I didn't want it to come across as just 
um, a comedian rushing something. So I, I, I wanted to write well, and I, I knew I wasn't going to get another opportunity like it very soon to, to write at length and to try and write, um, well. The the things. So like I say, I'm I'm embarrassed of everything I've done six months previous. Always in my life, and there are you know there's certain terms of phrase in the book now. I go, oh, this is a bit painful. This is a bit annoying. I should have written that better. But hopefully that just means I'm a better writer now. I was a better writer by the end of the book than I was at the beginning. You know, it was one of those things I got to the end of the book and got, I went, oh, I wish I could do this again because I feel like I would do it better. But you only have so much time. When that when that crooning album comes out, I don't want you beating yourself up six months after it comes out. <laughs> I probably will. Um, I'll probably be like, oh, that trill was a bit obvious in that place. I should have done a trill there. Um, now, has there been an incident at a gig that you would love to somehow replicate at this gig? Oh, yes. A lock-in. I did, I, I've only ever been in one lock-in at a pub ever. I didn't know they actually existed. But after a gig at um, what is now 2 North Down, I think it was Invisible Dot at the time. There's a little pub about around the corner. And, you know, it was like me and I remember Tim Key was there. I don't remember who else was there, but we were all at this pub and drinking away and and uh, and I think you know the gig was good. There's for there's always there's nothing better than like a nice pint after a good gig. Sometimes you need a pint after a bad gig, but it's always better to want a pint after a good gig. And we sat down and it's coming coming close to closing time. The guy's going, "All right, last orders," but like people don't move. And he goes, "All right, last orders," and this is kind of cheeky look on his face. And then the blinds come down, and like, and and uh, fucking cigarette pots come out what are they called ashtrays cigarette pots ashtrays come out and we're like, what and it becomes a lock-in i've never been in a lock-in before I, I i i thought they were myth i thought it was awesome it was like um i felt like i was in the, the french resistance in the world the war or something i thought i was plotting you know a rebellion it's awesome it's amazing <laughs> so i think and also like licensing laws in london are so fucked that bars close at 11 or 12 and after a gig, you're riding on this adrenaline and you just want to have a pint. And by the time you're out of the, the gig, it's 10.30 and places are already taking last orders. It's pathetic. London's pathetic in this sense. And something has to be done about it. It's very embarrassing when you have visitors from outside London and places are closing at 11 or 12. Nothing much is being done about it. But um, And so the um, the lock-in is the only the only fix for this. So yeah, I, so my ideal post-gig... Uh, happening is a, is a lock-in and a good pub, and that will that will hold an almost magical, mythical place in your memory, won't it? Your first lock-in. That's right. I know only. I've never. I've, I, I, I was at a different pub recently, and it felt it had I had felt like a, a lock-in was coming. Because why did I think? Because they kept saying they kept saying last orders, but they weren't clearing anything, and they kept saying last orders, but people were going. Here we go. And I, and, and I thought one of the, the people behind the bar winked at me. And I was like, he winked at me. I swear he winked at me. And then they're like, all right, now it is time to go. I was like, what the hell? You, you've been tickling my balls about the lock-in for an hour here. And it turned out you actually were closing. So, yeah, so I've never been in one again. You're putting your cigarette away. Oh, come on. <laughs> yeah, the fire alarm's going. or the sprinklers are getting soaking everyone. I was like, come on, man. You've been arrested. You're giving all the, the hints. I really misread this. Sorry, guys. <laughs> um, which incident? That's so. That's such a lovely answer. Which which incident must not happen at this gig? 
me to overhear the audience as they leave give their feedback. I hate this. Because oh, James, you're holding God. your head. You know what I'm talking about. So, oh, so sometimes this is the worst thing about having um, a gig, having to share the toilet with the audience at a gig. If it's a small room or whatever. Oh. Not because I'm like a diva and I need my own toilet. It's because I don't want to overhear people talk about the gig. Because maybe they didn't like me and they say something um, about me not being good. And they have every right to. Because they don't know that I'm there. They're not being rude. They're, they're, they have every right to talk about me. I don't want to hear it. I don't need to hear it. And, 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 and I remember like one Edinburgh my, of my worst ever show in 2015, as people, you know, how small rooms at the fringe are, I'd come off and I'd literally walk behind a piece of wood. And there's literally just a piece of wood separating, separating me from the audience. And I would cover my ears as they left because I didn't want to hear what people thought of it. There's another gig that uh, 99 Club in London used to run. I don't know. They, I don't think they still run it. It's at the Queen's Head, a small pub. Oh yeah, demonstrate pub. Yeah, beautiful little pub, um, right by Brasserie Zadell near um, Piccadilly Circus. And <laughs> the room was so small that when the gig finished, the 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 acts would have to stand in a line by the door yep. as people left. So you'd have gone on, oh. done the gig done well or done badly who knows but then you'd have to to wait for your money you'd have to wait by the door and line up almost like you were waiting for the king you know that you're lining up for the king and the audience would sort of file past you and they go well done or they wouldn't or they would try not to meet your eye or it was it was really excruciating it's really awkward so i think that what would have to not happen in my ideal gig was was something like that where you're instantly with an earshot of the audience right after the gig. And also, when you overhear stuff like that, the compliments and the lovely ones you've forgotten about within oh yeah, it doesn't matter nanoseconds. Oh, like water off a duck's back. But the the anything remotely anything flirting with negativity is seeing someone on saying the yeah, that was fine. Yeah, yeah. Uh, one of the first times I ever did the, uh, the Queen's Senate demonstrate, it was an open mic night pre. Way before I'd done 99 Club and uh, the MC was on and they've got a list of like, you know, the open mic nights, there's like 20 acts on a bill. And uh, I'm stood waiting by that door waiting to go on and this MC goes, they've looked at the list and they've gone, oh my God, your next act is one of my favourite acts off the circuit. And I'm, st I'm standing waiting to go on thinking, oh wow, I mean, I've, I've gigged with you a couple of times, but that, what a lovely compliment. And then they go, please welcome. And then they look at the list again and they go, oh no, sorry, no, it's not, no. <laughs> it's actually James Gill. Fucking hell. It's actually John Gill. <laughs> Give it up for John. Oh. That's funny. Uh, right, F Phil, one of the, not just on the Always Be Comedy podcast, one of the great podcast performances. The final question How do you unwind after a gig? Oh, not very well, to be honest. I, I travel. To be honest, the, tra the travel back, I, I love. I love getting on the train and listening to a podcast. You know what I, what I loved in the early days when I just graduated and I just moved to London? And this is a period of your career that Harry Hill has said, you can you never beat, <laughs> is is when no one's expecting anything from you. You get, on, you get on stage, no one knows who you are. No one's expecting anything from you. And, you know, I'd go on and I'd so much vim at the time. I'd, you know, I'd just smash these gigs. I'd be on in the middle, the easiest spot in the show in the middle and you knew you've got experience but no one knows you no one's expecting anything and i do well and it's such a thrill and i come off afterwards and i record every single one on my phone and i'd walk home 
through the non- London night and I'd listen to the set straight away. I'd listen to it again um, on my headphones on the walk home. And I love that. I don't do that anymore. I don't I listen to myself anymore. I can't stand listening to myself anymore. But those early days when it was so exciting and, you know, I felt like I was working towards something and uh, it was it was awesome. So I guess it used to be like listening back to myself. I mean, this is an arrogant answer, but listening back to myself at the gig I'd just done, living the London life, living my dream. Oh, so thrilling, so exciting. Now I get home and I do the dishes. <laughs> that kind of winds me down. But that'll do it. You just unlock something in me there because I used to do the exact that that it was, not, it was such an exciting time. You're the, you're doing ten minutes in the middle. You'd annihilate it because, as you say, you knew you knew that your gear worked because it was bulletproof from the mm-hmm. open mic, open spot circuit. And listening back to it, I'm the same. I don't listen back to it anymore. No, no. I mean, well, I've the, sets, this... the sets are much longer now. I mean, back then you were doing 10, 15 minute sets. You could easily listen to it over, but now, you know, I'm pra- practicing the hour. It's quite a commitment to listen to yourself for an hour. Yeah, I, I don't know. You, you felt so a lot that, you know, train, bus, tube, whatever it is, and you the headphones on. Ah, you felt so alive listening back to, oh my God, I, I've roofed it, you know? Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's so awesome. I love that. You never get that back. Phil, yeah. how, how do we get it back? Tim, get the cocaine you get, out. You can't you can't get it back. You have to you have to look for new new thrills, but that's just life. That's just aging. Phil, we cannot thank you enough. That was really special. Oh god, that's very kind. And thanks for having me. Thanks for talking to me. Thanks for listening to me. And thanks for having me at ABC. Uh, what a great performance from the great Phil Wang. I said that like I've just watched him play for Crystal Palace. But um, it, yeah, he he was absolutely, he was pistol hot. He was just so, so great all the way through. So grateful. Thank you, Phil. Uh, as we say, he is at the Apollo. Tim and I have this running joke, joke that's not a joke because we're deadly serious. We have this running joke about bits in the podcast that would make great news stories in, you know, across papers and websites, what have you. Phil Wang must have dropped a good three or four there, Tim. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's so much stuff in there that I loved him talking about and just things I've never heard him talk about before. So great. Now, Tim Lewis, your favourite Phil Wang memory? Oh, man. So, this one might be a bit much, as some would say. I think Phil was one of the first people in comedy that became a proper friend, actually, I'm going to say. I remember talking to him during a break of the 99 Club. And I was like, oh, I really like this Phil Wang guy. Only saw him for the first time that day. And yeah, I think we got close quite quickly. Yeah, I think it's Phil Wang becoming my first comedy friend. How's that? Oh my God, it's so sweet. It ain't bad. Um, How about you? Makes mine look absolutely shit. I'm not saying that favourite memory is a competition, but it's sort of, I suppose it is a little bit. But if we were keeping score, maybe we should do that. You know what? That is, <laughs> there is humour in that. Maybe from now on we keep score. God. <laughs> You're 1-0 up, right? We'll start now. Lovely. For episode 50, a new feature. I mean, I thought, I'll be honest with you, Tim, I, I put some thought into this, and I was so confident that, my, that mine was going to be quite good, but yours is, 
I can't compete with friendship. Um, so there was a, as you will know, the Thursday at Always Be Comedy is often the, a mixed bill night. Not always, but he's often the mixed bill night. And we had a big name headliner who had to pull out just before the gig started. And it was a totally legit reason. It's life, it happens. Um, but it, let's say the gig starts at eight. I think it was like seven o'clock. And I, you know, it's, it's, it's desperate. I don't, listen, I know in the grand scheme of things, it's not that big a deal. But when you run comedy nights, it's, it's the equivalent of, it, 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 you are Jack Bauer in 24. <laughs> that is what it feels like, right? It feels, it feels that, but more important, right? And you're like, oh God. And I, I think pretty much the first person I messaged, I messaged Phil Wang, mate, is there any way? Yep, sure thing, see you later. And no exaggeration, I, I think my fringe grew back, grew back a bit that evening. So I will always, there's a certain list of comedians who will do that and they will go the extra mile for you. I remember a similar thing happened. Rachel Paris came from a TV recording to close a gig to help out. Uh, and then the, the all-timer, the, the all-time hero in this category is Sarah Pascoe. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I was once warming up a TV show with Sarah. She was the host. Obviously, she wasn't joining in the war. Well, I say that. It was Comedians Giving Lectures on Dave and one of my favourite shows to ever warm up on because Sarah is a mate. So would would literally join in on the... on the Whenever there was a pause, me and Sarah would jump on stage and what a, what a pleasure that was. Uh, but I, I, I said this to the crowd one night that Sarah... No one has helped out more than Sarah down the years and... Pasco always knows that it needs a, a laugh. Always knows that you can't just be earnest. And Pasco goes, "Hang on, I want you. To, I want you all to know that I'm very successful." <laughs> She's like, "I'm not doing this because I didn't have anything in the diary. I was doing this." To I was like, "Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course, that goes without saying." But uh, but no, they're obviously a special play. I, I think any listener can relate to this. The sort that the friends who go the extra mile when they don't need to go the extra mile. I remember Phil Wang uh, stepping in. It wasn't. I mean, it wasn't even the eleventh hour. It was very much the twelfth hour when he stepped in. So. Uh, always super grateful I mean, that was years ago and I, I i still remember that vividly no matter how much i present this case i have to concede that tim has stuck this one in the top corner tim well done one nil <laughs> thank you very much thank you very much as always uh drop us a line the team at alwaysbecomedy.com we are across the socials at always be comedy and leave a five-star review we would be very grateful. Tim, thank you very much as always. 50, Tim, I'll say this, it doesn't fit, I mean, this is a compliment, it does not feel like 50 episodes. It feels like episode one with Josh Woodcombe came out uh, two months ago. Yeah, I would, ne I would never have guessed 50, but yet here we are. Thank you for all your support. We are incredibly grateful. Hey, and here's to the next rud Ruddy 50. Am I right, guys? Just a bit. Cheers, guys. Bye-bye. bye bye, bye, -bye.